Okay, what book are we working our way through? Joshua. So we spent four weeks on it, and we're on verse six. So here we go. We'll start with verse six, and I'll read through verse eight. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Well, last week I talked about God telling Joshua and the people to take the land and that uh, they were to advance the rule of God. And I said this is part of, the commandment gives, part of the commandment God gives to us. For we too are to bring the kingdom of God into the land we live in and bring people under the rule and the love of Christ. However, the seizing of the land was not just a land grab where people were just to take land, but in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So the war against the Canaanites wasn't just another war. What God actually wanted them to do was establish in this land a righteousness and a goodness that flowed from God, and that would come from living his word. And so God wants what is good for us. He told his people, I I want for you what is prosperous and successful, and God wants the same for us. God is not a killjoy. He actually wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be prosperous and successful. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, what God calls success and fullness isn't necessarily what the world would call success and fullness. If we wrote the word prosperity and we asked people in the world to define it and give us a picture of it, they would probably see people with lots of money living in big houses with expensive cars in the garage. But God defines success more as fullness, where we work at our work, and it produces for us, and God supplies what we need, and we live a life without worry. Love is, uh, our relationships are characterized by love, and, and we're blessing people out of our abundance. It results in generosity, an overflowing of joy, an overflowing of love, and we leave behind us uh, a trail or a wake of blessing and not destruction. This is the fullness that God visions for his people. And we want that, right? Don't we want fullness? Don't we want what Scripture's saying here is success and prosperity? But it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It happens as we live God's 
word. It's where we take God's word and we know it, we let it do its work in our heart, and then we live out the word, and then as we do, prosperity and success follows behind us. So God told Joshua to take the land. He told him to live according to his law, and then God linked prosperity and success to living out the law. And so what do we mean by the law? Because Scripture means different things when it talks about law. Uh, Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, says uh, we're not saved by doing the law, but by faith in Christ. So in that context, Paul meant uh, you're not saved by following the rules. You're saved by faith in Christ. But in this passage, I'm going to make the point that the law of God is all of what God says. And here's why I think that. Here it says God says to do my law. What was the law in Joshua's day? It was everything Moses had written. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those books were called the law. And it was everything that God had revealed to them to that point and everything that Moses had written down. And if you read Genesis and Exodus and stuff, there's not just rules there. There's There's stories, and it tells us what God does for his people. And so the law is more than just rules. So now we get to the book of Joshua. And in the book of Joshua, in chapter 5, you'll start to hear the pronoun we when they cross the Jordan. That means whoever wrote Joshua was there as he wrote the book or was writing, was there when they were writing about it. And then in Joshua chapter 24, evidence points to Joshua being the author of the book because it says, and Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And so the book of Joshua was added to the book of the law. But Joshua didn't write the very last verses of Joshua. Actually, someone edited it. Because in that book, you're going to hear uh, the author say, and in those days, the city was called this, but today it's called that. Or they'll say, and this is true even till this day. And so someone added to it later. Scholars think it was Samuel, who also wrote the book of Judges and wrote First and Second Samuel. God's people added that to the law of God. Then you have King David. People perceived him as a prophet. God was with them. He wrote a song book. We call it the book of Psalms. They added that to the sacred literature. Moses had, I mean, uh, Solomon had supernatural wisdom. He recorded his wisdom. It was added to the sacred writings. And then you had prophets writing, and, and prophets were tested. If a prophet predicted something and it didn't come true, that person was not a prophet. And he couldn't be a prophet. And in fact, um, sometimes they would stone, that prophet would be stoned for being a false prophet. Now, when I say that, I don't mean to say he comes from Colorado. I'm saying he was stoned. (laughs) And so over a period of time, you have these 
prophetic writings, along with the writings of Moses and some other authors, and it forms what we know as the Old Testament. It was formed by about the year 200 BC because in that year, the the Jewish people living outside of the Holy Land uh, speak Greek, and they translated the Old Testament into Greek, and that's called the Septuagint, and so that was the accepted Old Testament book at the time. It's the Old Testament Jesus had. Now, some people will say, well, I believe the New Testament, but not the Old Testament. Well, Jesus believed the Old Testament. Here's what he says about it in Matthew chapter 5. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so, Jesus says God's word, God's law, will not disappear. He gives it authority. It's scripture. Well, then the Apostle Peter puts the writing of the apostles on par with the prophetic writings, Scripture. He writes in 2 Peter 3, verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord Jesus through your apostles. So now he's putting the apostles' writings on par with the Old Testament scripture. The apostle writings is what we have in the New Testament. He includes Paul in this group, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters speaking of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. So now Paul and the other scriptures are on par. And so we have an authoritative revelation from God that we call the scripture. It is inspired, it is infallible in that it does not fail to communicate God's will to us. It is inerrant and that it does not err in what God is trying to say to us. It contains a revelation of who God is, his plan for salvation, and his law or his prescription for how we can live um, fruitful, loving, prosperous, and successful lives. Now, when... Joshua, we learn that God wants us to do his word. He says in verse 8, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Notice the promise of success and fullness is not an open promise, where God says, I'll make you a success. That's not the promise. He says, do everything in my law, do everything in my word. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. 
Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say there's a young man, he wants to be a, a businessman, and um, he approaches a, a wealthy friend of his parents and says, um, I want to be a successful businessman. Um, anything you can do to help me, help me. And let's say the wealthy man writes him a check for $5,000 and says, here you go. Would that make him a success? Now, maybe he'll start a business with it, maybe he'll invest it, but it's not going to make him a success. Now, let's say the wealthy man says, well, you know, I happen to have written a book on entrepreneurship. Here it is. I'm going to give it to you. You read it, and as you read it, whenever you want to talk to me about it, I will talk to you about it and coach you through it. So the young man starts to read it, and he makes an appointment with the wealthy man, and they get to together for coffee every week, and they talk about what is written. And the wealthy man coaches him through it. And finally, one day, the young man says, you know, I have an idea for a business. And he runs it by the, the wealthy man. And, and then the wealthy man helps him develop a, a business plan. And then the wealthy man directs some capital his way. And then he, he steers some business his way. And he continues to coach this young man all through the process. Now, is this young man more likely to be a success? Yes, because he has taken what is written from the one who wrote it and has conversed with the one who wrote it as he applies it to his life. This is how God brings prosperity and success to us. It's as we interact with him doing what he says. So God says, do not let this law, do not let what I say depart from your mouth. God's people were to know God's word. It was to become part of their speech, part of their conversation. Now, before that can happen, before the word of God can be on our lips, we actually have to get to know God's word. And and so my exhortation to you is read it. Maybe you, you can listen to it, and that's, that's good, but, but read it, and then interact with it with other people in authentic relationship with them. And we call these grow groups in our church, but as you do this, you will get to know God's word. And so I want everyone in our church to be able to say, God's word is getting into me by, and then complete the sentence. God's word is getting into me by, and here's the answer you can't use, by listening to Pastor Stan on Sundays, because Pastor Stan talking for 20 minutes is not enough. So get to know God's word, have a way to get it into you, and then know it well enough so that you can speak it to at least yourself and your children, and to others who need encouragement. Because if we know God's word and we need to make a decision, we can recall it to give us wisdom. Or maybe um, we've really blown it and we feel like we've made a big mistake and we're, we're self-condemning ourselves. We'll need God's word to, to give us a promise of forgiveness and that he's still with us. Maybe you're going through a, a difficult time and, and you're losing hope. 
You're at your rope, uh, your uh, your wit's end. We need God's word, uh, something that we know to remind us to hang in there and that God has a future for us. Maybe we've been devastated by something and we can recall God's word to give us comfort. Everyone who calls themselves a child of God should know what the Father says. Everyone who calls Jesus Lord should know what the Lord says. And so make it a commitment to know more of God's word. Next thing um, our scripture tells us to do is meditate on it. Now that word meditate in the Hebrew means to chew. The root is to chew. You know, when I was a kid, I used to eat really fast. And my, and my parents would go, slow down. Enjoy your food. Chew it. And then when I chewed, I thought, oh, it was actually good. All right? So to meditate is to chew on God's word. So we'll read it. And then we'll think about it, what it says. We'll ask, what does this say about God? What does it say about me? Is there a promise here? Is there something here correcting my life? We're going to practice doing this. So let's go to verse 7. Can we do that? So we're going to read this passage. We're going to read verses 7 and 8. Ready? We're going to read verse 7 together. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now let's go to, back to verse 7. Okay, now we're going to take it apart and meditate on it phrase by phrase. Be strong and very courageous. Are you afraid? Are you feeling weak? Be strong. Be courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. So think about God's word. Do we do it all? Or do we intentionally depart from it to the right or to the left, kind of excusing it away? Why do we do this? So that we may be successful wherever we go. Do you want that? Let's go to verse 8. And verse 8 is a parallel to verse 7. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So what would that look like for you? How would you make that happen? And why? And then we're supposed to be careful to do everything written in it. So think about, are we careful to do it? And then why? so that we can be prosperous and successful. Okay, now I want you, and it's in your worship folders too, that passage. 
pick some phrase out of that passage or summarize that passage in one sentence. Okay, hopefully you've created a phrase or a sentence. Now say that sentence to yourself. You can even write it down if you want. Say the phrase to yourself again. Okay, now when you're driving home today, say that phrase again. And uh, when you get home from church, say the phrase again. And then tonight, after the Rams beat the Patriots, (laughs) say the phrase again. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, Say the phrase again. When you're on your way to school, on your way to work, say the phrase again. You'll be meditating on God's word. You'll be chewing on it, and it will begin to do its work in you. Now, this took us three minutes. Do you have three minutes in your day to meditate on God's word? And now, along with meditating on it, God says to do the word. Verse 8, be careful to do everything in it. And so, are we careful to do God's word or do we let it slide? Do we accept it as authoritative or do we explain it away? Do we see it as a command of a holy God or words we can't ignore? If we know God's word, we need to do it. Now, some of us like our, our favorite sins. And we really do nothing about them. And really what we've done is explained God's word away. Or we've just ignored what we don't want to follow. We're like a person who reads through God's word and we judge it instead of it judging us. But if that's the way you want to treat God's word, then read your Bible. And when you come across something you don't like, tear out that page. Keep reading. If you don't like it, tear out that page. Or do something else. Write your own. Write down your own code of contact, or conduct. And get your input from the movies and the music and the TV. Write down what those things say. And then sign your name. Say, I am the author of my code of contact, of conduct. There's only one problem with that. At the end of our life, we will not be judged by our code of conduct. We will be judged by God's word. And so we do not judge God's word and cast aside what we don't like. 
All of it is inspired. All of it is inerrant and infallible and profitable for life and everything good. Now, not only are we to do God's word, but we're to keep it without compromise. God says in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. And so um, we don't want to excuse it. We don't want to dismiss it. We don't want to explain it away. We don't want to say, oh, well, you know, things change. No, we want to do God's word. God says, don't depart from it from the right to the left. Now, when I'm uh, flying into Wichita, I'm hoping the pilot is lining up that airplane with the runway. That runway is narrow, but it's not acceptable to me or to the passengers on the plane that, if the, that the pilot lands his plane to the right or that he lands it to the left or that maybe he overshoots it, or maybe he comes in short. That's not acceptable. I flew it one time, and it doesn't matter what the wind is doing or blowing from whatever direction, you have to line that plane up with the runway. And you tilt it and you steer it because you gotta hit that thing right. That's what guarantees a successful landing. And so God says, don't depart from it to the right or to the left. I want you to do the whole word. That will lead to success and prosperity. I looked up prosperity and success in my Hebrew dictionary. Prosperity meant to move forward, to have upward gain, to be profitable, When you look up that word elsewhere in Scripture, it said that God prospered Abraham, he prospered Isaac, he prospered Jacob, and implied in all that was wealth because God multiplied their holdings. But God says prosperity and success, and when you look up success, that means intelligence, wisdom, prudence, or character. So it's not enough to have big house with expensive car in the garage. If you're inside of an empty house, estranged from your family, drinking away your misery, that's not prosperity, that's not success in the biblical sense. I talked to my daughter a, a while ago and she said that she saw this movie, um, A Star is Born. I said, well, I'm not going to see the movie. I remember I saw it when Barbara Streisand was in it, right? Remember her? So anyway, uh, I said, I'm not going to see the movie. Tell me what's about. And she describes this this woman who becomes this star. But you know, by the end of the movie, she wasn't a success in the biblical definition of success. Sometimes you think, oh, I want to be famous. I want to be successful. I want to 
you know, be great in sports or be a great singing star, have a lot of money, and buy this, this nice car. Don't buy in to that narrow and limited definition of success. Here's what success is. You do your work well. And as you do your work well and you're prudent with your money, God blesses you. And then out of the sense of his abundant love and goodness, you overflow with joy, generosity, and love. Your life is characterized by character and integrity, and people respect you because of that. And your relationships are characterized by love and kindness. And and as you live your life, you leave behind you a trail of blessing wherever you are. That's prosperity. That's success. This is what God wants for us. Israel was to take the land. But God did not tell them to take the land and then become like the Canaanites. The Canaanites were godless and immoral. God told them, take the land and then do my word so they would have a good, godly society of justice and goodness and prosperity and success. And so, along with giving them the land, God told them, do my word while you're in the land. Only that kind of life will lead to prosperous and successful lives. We need to drink from God's word every way, every day to do this because God's word refreshes our souls. Because if we don't drink from God's word, we have no choice but to drink from the world. We are thirsty creatures by nature. We will drink from something. But God wants us to drink from his word. I read a story written by a woman about her growing up years. She wrote, One day my mother was out and my dad was in charge of me. I was maybe three years old. Someone had given me a little tea set as a gift, and it was one of my favorite toys. Daddy was in the living room watching the evening news, and I brought him a little cup of tea, which was just water. And after several cups of tea and lots of praise for my yummy tea, my mom came home. My dad made her wait in the living room to watch me bring him a cup of tea because he thought it was just the cutest thing. Mom waited, and sure enough, here I came down the hall with a cup of tea for daddy, and mommy watched him drink it up. And then she said, Did it ever occur to you that the only place you can reach to get water is the toilet? (laughs) The world 
offers us water from the toilet. God's water gives us the water of life. Drink that, and you'll be prosperous and successful wherever you go. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. You did not have us grope in the dark trying to figure out who you were. You revealed yourself to us through Moses and the prophets, through Jesus and his apostles. And you preserved your word over time and now it has come to us in paper and in ink and today even in different kinds of media, but we're grateful for that. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us and that you would work in us what you did in the life of St. Augustine when your Spirit spoke to him concerning the Scripture. Take up and read. Take up and read. And the man became a giant of faith because he read. So Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move us to do this. We pray that you would come alongside us and teach us your word. And Lord, as we um, continue today's service, Lord, we're gonna pray that we would um, learn how to meditate on it. And so Lord, we, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.